You're listening to The Dropouts. All right. Welcome to episode four of The Dropouts. I'm Jess. I'm Morgan. And we today are going to talk about failure. Wah, wah. Yes. <laughs> Failure, that's that's but... what we think. That's what that's yeah. what I think a lot of us think when we hear failure. It's just like a like a boo. <laughs> I think but it's it's not that. And we'll I tell think you why. Failure is so loaded for people, and I think we have some good tools to unpack that and to reframe it and to get your mind out of failure being such a negative thing. Um, so that's kind of the overarching topic of the day. I know Jess has. Um, a deep dive into failure for her, what she feels that has been for her in the last year in particular, and how it actually was a good thing and, you know, sparked yes. a change in life. Um, but, you know, we always like to do a little catch up before we jump into the episode. So what's new with you this week? Anything big, major, fun? <sighs> The weather got nice in Chicago. Yeah. yeah I spent did. basically every single day outside working from morning till bedtime. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I wasn't working. I think it was a little bit of a leisurely pace. Um, but at the same time, I felt more productive than I've been recently. Just being out and <sighs> it's been great. I went on a date. Um, and that was amazing. And I don't know, I just feel more motivated than ever to really do the damn thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, I've been kind of riding, I, riding that wave for sure. I've been working outside a lot too, which is actually for me, it's like a good thing. It's been really uplifting, but also I'm like, uh, I really need to get back to the studio and start to get busy on my candle stuff. But I'm going to put that off till next week and then hit it hard. Um, I know that last week we kind of talked about, like, I, I started a routine of going to bed at 11 and getting up at 7, and that has been kind of a big game changer for me. And I think that's something you implemented recently, right? Like, I've been trying very trying. recently, <laughs> as in, like, a couple days, which it sucks, too, because I love sitting outside when it's, like, kind of dark. I've got like lights on the patio like the string lights and it's just quiet and the weather is nice and I'm Mm -hmm. like oh this is amazing so I like it it's definitely I'm still trying to figure out I like being up in the mornings I like being productive but sometimes it's just hard to make myself go to bed sometimes like I'm not tired and I feel like I'm shutting the train down early sometimes but I also hate not waking up early. Like I snooze my alarms this morning and I still feel kind of shitty for it. Yeah, I, um, I'm definitely a night owl. I always have been. So for me, it is really hard to, to make myself go to bed at 11 because I really do. Sometimes I do my best work at three in the morning, but also that's not conducive to the lifestyle that I'm trying to kind of move towards. So I'm hoping that I can transition and, all of that, but um, I wanted to also say that maybe in the grand scheme of um, 
larger podcasts or people with a larger platform, maybe this isn't a big deal, but 26 people downloaded the little mini workbook that we have on our website, and I'm super excited about that. <laughs> it's amazing. Like and, that, it's, it's such a good tool, and you put so much time and thought into it. And just to well, think that there's 26 people out there that could be completely starting that journey of really just turning their shit around the way they want to and have been, have been wanting to. And it's just, it's a tool and it's amazing. Like that makes, it makes me so happy. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> well, it's on our website, so it's us. Yeah, but you did it. <laughs> you put it together. But, you know, I think we, I only started, I think I put it together last week. So it's only been a week and I feel like that's pretty, pretty great. So my point in saying that is, um, if you are one of the people that downloaded it or you're about to download it because you're curious about it, um, I would love some feedback from people, either of new discoveries that you've had or something while you were going through it that maybe you didn't really realize before, maybe some new truths. Um, and I would love to see your vision boards, which I started working on mine yesterday. I started scrolling through Pinterest and it's actually kind of funny because I was going through Pinterest and I was looking up like, uh, I was trying to find like a backyard that just like wowed me. Like, cause I kind of have this vision in my head for what I would want it to be. But sometimes you go through Pinterest and you're like, that's it. That's like exactly kind of, that's even better than what I imagined. And what I'm finding is I'm actually a little sorely disappointed in the Pinterest int- the Pinterest images that I've been finding. Cause I'm like, well, that's just like not up to this. That's not what I want bigger. I want like, I want more than that, you know? And so I found myself really frustrated yesterday trying to go through Pinterest and find the things that light me up. Cause I'm like, these images just aren't it, which is like, I don't know if that's like a good thing or a bad thing. I guess it's neither here nor there, but um, part of the issue that I've been running into is just finding images that really represent what's in my head and getting them on a vision board so I can be reminded of them every day. Like I'm picturing like this beautiful home in California, kind of like in the Rocky cliffs overlooking the ocean. And then you kind of turn and you see some mountains or like rolling hills and then having this amazing backyard that faces that and kind of having this fire pit and a pool and like all those like really cool elements that I can see it in my head. I just haven't been able to find it (laughs) to put on the board. Um, And I know that these homes exist because I've been to Ventura, California, and I've been to that area, and it's just like I see them all over the place. So it's just a matter of me finding the images to put on the board, images that are worthy of being put on my board. You You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean, though, because I have this vision, and that's always been my my biggest issue sometimes is getting what's in my head out. Mm -hmm. Normally, I don't need to because it's like, well, if I, you know – but then I do because there's vision boards and science and showing showing that it, it does make a difference when it's actually like visually right in front of you. So I, I'm also working on my vision board. It has been fun. Um, and of course, I'm always – I just want to be beautiful. If you want more information regarding the workbook, we do deep dive into it in episode three. Um, because there's a lot of science as to why visualization actually works and helps reframe your mind to start to program yourself to to look for those things in your life, to be more open to those things, and to see it as a possibility instead of shutting yourself off from whatever it is, whether it's the nice car, whether it's, you know, the 
job that you want, whatever it is. So, um, but yeah, so we have that. I would highly suggest listening to episode three. It's called Stinky Shoebox. So, obviously. Um, uh and if you listen to the episode you'll get why it's called that but um yeah so download that what would make me super happy is if I start to see people's vision boards because then I will know that people are actually working their way through the workbook at this point 26 people downloaded it but I have no idea if it ended up in everyone's trash can on their desktop or if people are actually doing it I haven't heard much so feedback would be like super welcome and I would really 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 love it to see either just pictures of you going through your vision board or if you're working on it actively just throwing a story up on Instagram and tagging us because it would nothing would light me up more than to see that people are really actively working through some of their stuff and trying to trying to create a a bigger vision for their life and that starts with a vision board so yeah I don't really, what happened, we had the, we had had a technical error, so we kind of got cut off in the middle of chatting, so I feel like it it disrupted our flow, and I'm kind of like, "Er." Um, otherwise, you know, we have some Patreons, um, and that's exciting to see that start to grow. Um, If you do like what we're doing and want to see more content and want to be part of a community, I would highly suggest heading over to our Patreon. The goal for Joss and I is to create a big community of people who all get together once a month um, for at least 90 minutes, the first Wednesday of the month in the evening, um, and can get together and lift each other up, basically. And I know it sounds a little corny, but uh, you are a product of the people you hang out with, basically. You know, whoever surrounds you is kind of a mirror into where you're at in your life. And what better way to start to elevate where you're at, where you want to be, than to surround yourself with people who are very like-minded, who are business-oriented, or just goal-driven, or perhaps you're looking for ways to try to get to that next level, or to try to find people that will lift you up instead of telling telling a goal to somebody and having them be like, well, is that really possible, or isn't it a little oversaturated, or do you really think you could do that? Like, I'm sure everybody has told a dream or a goal to somebody and had basically been shut down by other people's fear of you know people like to project their stuff onto you so um, like I just told my dad for example this is nothing against my dad um, it's more a product of where he's at in his life but it's I told him of, of another business idea that I have and that I plan on implementing later this fall and the very first thing he said to me is well isn't that a little oversaturated like the market that I'm going into and I looked at him like dad (laughs) I said I just infiltrated candles which is like one of the most highly saturated markets that there is and I've been just fine so you know for him he doesn't see the possibility beyond the saturation and for me it's like I don't even see saturation as being an issue it is a non it's a it's not even in my conversation it's not even in my wheelhouse of concerns because it's like yeah, but nobody's going to do it how I do it. Nobody's going to do this mm-hmm. new business venture or put a spin on it how I'm going to put a spin on it. So yeah, there can be like millions of other people that do the same thing. I just don't care. Like it's it's a non-conversation for me. So it's just, if you ever encounter that with people poo-pooing your idea in some 
way, shape, or form. I mean, that's a whole episode in and of, it, uh, in and of itself of the psychology behind that and how you can kind of gear up for that. But not everybody deserves to hear your dreams and goals, unfortunately. But we would like to create a space where where you can talk about those things and not be poo-pooed in the process of doing it, you know? And yep. tell us. Yeah. Hi- well, tell <laughs> us. Just like the, we talked about in the last episode with the Tom Segura bit that um, always makes me laugh. But we, we will always hype hype you up, help you get there. I know you, Morgan, have been that for me because I know with my new business venture, I've had so many moments where I'm like, well, why why am I even doing this? Because there's so much out there. But then it's like, you know, nobody else is me. So, and I'm extra and I, (laughs) and I like nice things and I'm going to make a business that is me. And there isn't one of those out there in this realm. So. And I always think, you know, I don't know if anyone's ever seen that Instagram. Actually, I think it started on TikTok, but she's like, how many McDonald's and Burger Kings are across the street from each other and do just fine? It's because there's a market for everybody. And just because somebody's doing the, just because somebody's making a sandwich doesn't mean they're going to make the same sandwich. Like mm-hmm. it's still a sandwich, but at the end of the day, there's, you know, endless variety to what kind of sand- sandwich you could make and sell people. So I just don't get hung up on the oversaturation. And I think, I mean, this is a good segue into the, episode today of failure and fear of failure I think Jess will probably speak more on failure and I will probably speak more on fear well I just honest I mean when we had a conversation yesterday did that sound bad <laughs> no I mean it's true I have and She's that's gonna say <laughs> I have so much failure to share with you guys and hopefully it, well, it's it's helps because it's helped me to kind of reframe it not that I let it ever really you know and I never really was hung up on it as much as I probably should have. We'll go into that in a little bit, but. Well, and failure is a loaded word and it can mean a lot of different things. And it's really how much weight you give it, right? Like you could fail at something and then just say, never mind, I'm never doing this again because of this failure. Or to me, the only permanent failure really is quitting. And if you quit something, here's my thing before, like my preface before we get into failure. If you're quitting something because you're listening to your intuition and it's not something that's actually serving you and it isn't part of your journey, I think that's different. But if you're quitting something that you like, if you're quitting something that you genuinely want to pursue because it got hard, then that's failure because you're letting the fear of failure or the fear of whatever it is that you're afraid is going to happen if you succeed or if you go for the thing that you really want to do, stop you from ever having it. But if you're quitting something because it doesn't serve you, that's different. So when I say that the only the only real failure to me is quitting, I mean quitting at something that actually lights you up and that you want to you want to pursue, not quitting something that isn't serving you. So it has to do with I the reason behind make... the quitting for sure. Yeah. Cause if you're quitting yeah. it just because it's hard and it's something you want to do or some, you know, finances or this or that, like that's not a reason to quit something that lights you up. But if it's something, yeah, that does not serve you or fulfill you or in my cases, you know, we'll talk about that, but yeah. At the end of the day, you have to want your dreams more than you want your drama. And so get real with why you're quitting something, like you know? So 
Um, that is not my words. I don't remember where I got it from, but I heard it somewhere and I'm just spewing it back out. So <laughs> I, mean, I will find it and yeah, credit it. it. But you have to want your dreams more than you want your drama. So um, yeah. And, and all life is, is really a bunch of micro failures, right? Like truly just a ton of micro failures and maybe some big ones where you fell flat on your face. I have a recent failure that I definitely can talk about. Um, and I say failure lightly, like in the moment it felt really shitty and there's a lot of shame that goes around failure, but shame is rooted in other things. Um, and that's just going to go back to where your beliefs lie of worthiness and everything. My failure had to do with, I felt I was failing my customers and I felt it wasn't so much that I had a business failure. I, I felt I was failing other people, but nobody came to me and said, Morgan, you're failing me right now. It was my own projection of what I thought people might be thinking. And at the end of the day, maybe there was a handful that thought that, but I also was creating a lot of drama around it that was non-existent because it's, it was all my own self-inflicted stuff, which we can talk about. But I know Jess has like a really wonderful story of failure. And I hope when I said Jess is going to talk a lot on failure, it's not that she has, <laughs> it's not that she's just like a big fat failure and has like tons of failures. We all have failures. It's just that when we were discussing the episode yesterday, she's like, well, I really want to speak on this because I think it's like a powerful message about failure. And um, I definitely think I want to give her the space to do that. But my, my thing about failure is it's rooted in fear. And so um, I will probably speak more to the fear aspect of it, where she'll speak to the practicality of a failure and what that meant for her and the trajectory it took her. Um, I don't know, Jess, if you want, before we jump into the failure part, do you want to answer a question or do you want to save that for the end? We can do that. So I think, Answer once, a question we, yeah, quick. I think once we start, it's just going to be, we're going to keep going until we have to okay. stop recording. <laughs> well, okay. So one of the things I asked on Instagram earlier today, um, this is going to be a two-part thing. But one of the things I asked is, uh, let me find it. Okay. When you picture your most ideal life ever, what's holding you back? Uh, multiple people said money. Um, many people said money actually. And then somebody said fear. Uh, I think those things are incredibly tied in. I want to actually deep, deep dive into the person that said fear. Cause I want to ask your fear of what fear of failure, <laughs> you know, like yeah, I mean, what, I mean, what is the fear? Is it fear of not having enough money? Cause then we're coming from a scarcity mindset. Is it fear of failure in front of other people? Cause then we're coming from a people pleasing aspect. Like there's something there about fear. And I, I want to honor people's fear and I want to honor the space that, that people are in when they say, when they're vulnerable with us and they share those things. But I always want to push back a little bit because it's like, okay, but I want to, I wish I could have these people in front of me and deep dive into what does that mean for you? What does fear mean for you? Because it's going to mean something different to Jess. It's going to mean something different to me. And then somebody, you know, kind of went into not making enough money to survive. I need to quit my job, but I'm not sure yet with my sales. Um, so, yeah, I mean, these are all things I'd love to deep dive into. Uh, and I, and obviously. they're all so interconnected, especially with money. I know yes. that we've been reading the book by Ashley Stahl called U-Turn. I know some other listeners have started reading it and are loving it and um 
had the pleasure of speaking with Ashley a little bit and it's just it's an absolutely amazing book which the part that I'm in I'm reading and um, really analyzing right now is about money and I think that's a whole nother episode um I think that's a whole series a whole series really I know <laughs> we keep I mean, saying that but so it's just much. so much there um but again, I mean, it's all very interconnected. Fear, failure, and a lot of it stems from money because money, unfortunately, is kind of what makes the world go round and keeps us sheltered and fed and whatever. To an extent, I mean, obviously, I think, you know, where we live in our society is is different than on other in other parts of the world. But truthfully, I mean, a lot of a lot of things come back to money. So we will definitely dive deeper into that I know we say that quite often about certain things but that it will be a whole separate episode episodes um the beauty of our podcast is we're just getting started so we have a whole we have a whole horizon in front of us to be able to delve into all this stuff and you know I kind of foresee that we're going to probably record some episodes and a year from now probably re-record those episodes Mm -hmm. with a clearer tone more 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 digestible content for people because we're working through some of this stuff ourselves. But in the process, uh, I think it's really valuable to share the lessons that we are learning or that we have learned because um, it gets you unstuck. And so money is a very, very loaded thing. It's kind of along the lines of religion and sex and all of the really hush-hush taboo things that nobody talks about, right? It's like, well, it needs to be talked about. And it needs to be reframed. And um, I mean, yeah, maybe that that'll be maybe we'll start our series on money in the next um, the next episode. But it it's not so much where we aren't going to come at money from the financial perspective. We're going to come at money in the how we think about it perspective, because we're not going to talk to you about investing and, you know, the Dow Jones and all that stuff. That is not our jam. That's not our specialty. but. I will ask people to start to challenge how they think about money. And I had talked about Jess with about this a little bit, but I, I've started to work on a mini money workbook too, because I think it's going to be really helpful for people in getting unstuck with their issues around money. Because when I'm reading any of this stuff, it's all not making enough money to survive. That's coming from a scarcity mindset. And I tell Jess this a lot. I say money is everywhere. It is literally everywhere. all around you. It's everywhere. I remember when you it's first everywhere. told me that, I was like, yeah, I fucking wish it was. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it truthful, is. Like, truly. And once you, and you know, again, it sounds kind of woo-woo, but like once you surrender to that, you'll be surprised. I know I've started seeing a little bit of that and it's been kind of crazy. I know you, you'd always tell me that. You'd tell me that and energy or money is just is a simple exchange of energy and, and money is everywhere it's all it is and it's all it is it is and once I kind of was started to shift my perspective I mean I'm still kind of in in that shift you know I'm not mm-hmm. completely there and I don't think I ever will be I I mean I will eventually but it's gonna take some time but have you, since we've kind of started to work on money together or like talked about it, do you think you've made more money that you wouldn't have made otherwise? A thousand percent. 
within okay. hours actually sometimes of me being like you know what I need <laughs> and you know I think in a business aspect a lot of it is like we say is it's robbing Peter to pay Paul and you're always reinvesting things back into the business and cash flow can be kind of sketchy sometimes <laughs> but but you've manifested income I've, when you needed exactly. it exactly I'd be like oh I need to do this but I need x amount mm-hmm. of money I'm going to go make that money and literally within hours I've had that money made and have you been like, I need, I'm just going to use this as like a round house number just because it's easy for people. But have you been like, you know, if I could just make a thousand dollars and literally then producing a thousand dollars. Two times over. So you just opened yourself up to like, how can I make a thousand dollars? And it's like, well, look, by the end of the day, I actually made a thousand dollars. I maybe brainstormed a little bit. I opened myself up to it. And then at the end of the day, I had what I needed. Literally, literally, yeah, literally did that. Yep. So my point in having that little mini sidebar with Jess is like if she can kind of all of a sudden manifest some more money that maybe she wasn't really open to before I I want to do that with everybody because it's literally money's everywhere and then you know for me right now I'm working on I know money's everywhere it's allowing myself to know that it's an infinite number and not capping it off like mm-hmm. oh I can never make more than a million it's like oh yes you could yeah. don't Mm-mm. So that's what I'm working on. I know that money is everywhere. It's it's a matter of me shutting myself off at a certain amount. So it's hard to fathom um, though. And I and I was going through Ashley's book and there is the quiz and like a money mindset quiz. And one of the questions was like, what? No, actually, I'm gonna pull it up. I know we're, this is of course mm-hmm. a sidebar. We weren't really prepared to do, but that's just kind of how we are. But it, it's hard for me to like truly fathom making so much money when you know you're not there you haven't seen it before I'm a very visual person I'm a numbers oriented person and one of the questions was like how much money feels like too much and how much money to to feel like you make enough and I really sat for a while and I was even using my calculator I was like well how much what does it (laughs) take to that's so analytical of you my like living my current living expenses, maybe add on a few things. And I really want a Tesla. That's one of my vision board things. Amazing. Um, Put two Teslas on there. Actually, yeah. (laughs) There there are two Teslas. I want two. Good. Um, Yeah. But I was just even adding up and stuff. And I was like, man, that's like such a big number. But it's really not. It's just a number. It's just, and it's just a number. Money comes and goes. And anyways, we, we can go into a whole thing on that later. I think we, like you said, we're both kind of in the throes. We're in different stages of kind of shifting that, that money mindset. And again, I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but it really makes a huge, huge freaking difference. Mm-hmm. Like even just a couple yeah. weeks ago, I was not in the space that I am now. A hundred percent. And something I want to add, we were having, Jess and I were having this conversation, maybe I would say a week and a half, two weeks ago. And there was something I really wanted to go to. I shared it with her and I was like, I just need to manifest $6,000 to be able to go to this thing. I just need to make 6,000 extra dollars. And I was like, I don't know where that's going to come from. And then I started brainstorming all these ways. Okay. What could you do to make $6,000? And I decided against going to this particular thing because I want it to be an experience that Jess and I have together and the timing for both of us is just like not right at this moment which is totally fine um but in doing that 
I brainstormed a way to make over $6,000 and it's just a matter of me actually like doing the work to do it. But I know once I put the work in that that money is just going to come in. And it's like, there's six, there's $6,000 plus that before I was like, I just don't think that I can come up with that money. It's like, of course you can. It's right there. You just mm-hmm. get creative with it, you know? Yeah. And so my point is that a lot of times we, sh- we turn ourselves away from, from money before we even give ourselves a chance to brainstorm how to bring more of it in or make more of it. And I'm working on that, you know, that was a great example. And, uh, my point is that if I wanted to go to that, uh, conference that I really wanted to go to right now, I could go to that, you know? So, um, another question, which I guess ties into money, but it's going, I'll let Jess talk about this. Cause we, I pitched this question to her before, before I walked in the building today. Um, it's from Ashley at Shaded Pines and the question uh, that she asked was how are you dealing with the constant rise in material cost and sh- if you're somebody that's listening to this and you are like I don't really know what Ashley would be talking about um, Ashley is a sign maker woodworker so she's coming from the perspective of of cost to make her products so Jess um, first of all I want to plug Jess's pricing sheet because if you haven't downloaded it I don't know what you're waiting for. And maybe Ashley has. I'm just speaking in general. I feel like she might have. It's hard to say. I feel like a lot of people have that I just don't know. If you are a sign maker, it is worth the investment. What is, how much does it cost? Just $40? 40, yeah. Okay. It is worth the investment of $40 if it's going to make you thousands of dollars more. That's the thing. Every single person I know has said it's, it's paid off itself more times than one in one use. Like even just one quote. So seriously, go do yourself the favor. Jess made this. She did not ask me to say this. I'm just saying it because I truly believe it's a really, really valuable tool that she put a lot of time into. She has this beautiful Excel spreadsheet and you put in the information of the sign and then it auto calculates what you should be asking for that sign. I guarantee a lot of people are going to be alarmed by the number that comes up. If you're alarmed by the number that comes up, it means that you've been undercharging for your signs and you aren't charging enough. And I highly recommend that you go get Jess's go go get Jess's Excel spreadsheet because I will let her take the reins from here because I'm sure she's gonna probably touch on that. So how are you dealing with the constant rise in material costs costs, Jess? So you know, whether you have the spreadsheet or not, r- really what, what you do is you plug in, like you said, the information of the sign. And it doesn't have to be, a, like, if you're not a sign maker and you make tumblers, you make this, it's it's applicable to anything, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you plug in material costs, you plug in your hourly rate, you plug in, which your hourly rate should include um, any, like, overhead costs. And that's a, another aspect of the calculator that I need to upload still. Um. And then you plug in the time that it takes to make whatever you're making, and then it, it auto calculates. Can, can I add something really yeah. quick? Add extra time. Always. Because people always underestimate always. how much time a sign's going to take. Do, like, do a time and a half, At truly. Least, like, if you yeah. think a sign's going to take you 10 hours, guess what? It takes you 15. Mm-hmm. Add extra time in to do your signs. Always. Sorry, I didn't no, mean to interrupt. Always. I just want to tell and people that. I know we that. talked a lot about that in the our first maker episode our makers Mm -hmm. makers episode it's on the patreon if you've been looking for it it we don't upload it to 
like Spotify or Apple, it gets uploaded onto our Patreon and you can listen to it through through there. I'm working on trying to figure out a way to get it up into the main platforms, but I'm just not it's I'm just not there yet. Technology so, technology has been difficult for us lately, honestly. It's fine though. <laughs> um yeah, so there and everything that you do, including your time, factors into the price, right? And some things factor more directly than others. Materials directly relate to the cost that the customer is paying. Any material costs should be 100% covered by the customer. I do a materials markup mm-hmm. of 40%. So anything that the material costs are, I plug in how much I'm using. And a lot of times if it's something like a one-off or something that I, you know, even if it's like a sheet, whatever size sheet and I'm only using part of it, but it may, maybe it's not a sheet that I'm going to really use for anything else, they're paying for the whole sheet. They're paying for the whole can mm-hmm. of spray paint. They're paying for, I go in with it. Like if I was starting this project and I didn't have any primer, I didn't have any paint. I didn't have some of those things. I would have to go to the store and buy them. Blades. Bla- yeah. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So they're paying for all of that marked up 40%. No, no ifs, ands, or buts. Like that is what they're paying. So if the material costs are going up, the customer is paying for those materials. I am not going to be footing whatever the difference is between what maybe what they were. It's a great way were. to run yourself right out of business. 100%. 100%. And I've been there. The reason I started the calculator was because I just, I'm a money, I'm, I'm a numbers person. And I knew that things were just not adding up the way they, w- they were supposed to be. And I'm a visual learner. I started, I mean, I still, people will ask me, they're like, so like for this kind of side, just generally ballpark. I won't do it. I plug every single mm-hmm. thing into the calculator. I mean, I can look at something and be like, well, I know that that should be at least $500, but that's just, that's just a random number out of my ass, you know? Mm-hmm. So material costs, it sucks. It really does. But at the end of the day, it shouldn't affect you at all. No. And people that want to pay for your craft will suck it up and yep. do it. If you really want something and somebody really values your work, there will be no questions asked and they will just do it. So find the customers who are willing to pay for your work and for your time and for the materials and the markup and the extra time that you're going to factor into this because you have to make sure that you're factoring an extra time for mistakes or for the paint rippling and then you have to go back and sand it and repaint it or for the miscut or for whatever. Like There are just things that happen. I don't care how skilled you are. There are the the best woodworkers in the world make mistakes and have mm-hmm. to have to compensate for time to go back in and do it. Your time is valuable. And yes, obviously the more skilled you are, the less mistakes you're bound to make, but there are things that are just uncontrollable, like how paint dries. Like, so make sure when you're doing that, that you are factoring in the extra time as well. And people that deserve your work will pay for it. hundred percent. So yeah. And I will die on that yep. hill. So that's, yeah and honestly if you go back i would highly recommend that you listen to our patreon bonus episode because i talk at length at length at length about my signs and how i got driven out of the business because i was undercharging and i used to ballpark stuff i'd be like well it'll probably roughly cost me this and this and maybe it'll take me about three hours to do this and i ended up I probably lost money making signs. So what I would say is if you don't have Jess's sheet, get Jess's sheet. And if you have it and you haven't been using it, start using it and apply all of the things we just talked about. Because at the end of the day, you're a business and 
don't run yourself out of business like I did with signs. So um, that's my soapbox about that. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, I want to dive into the next part of our episode. And I want to ask Jess, what did we discuss the other day about failure? Well, and, and what's your story? What's your main story about failure that you want to tell? Failure is what has led me to where I am now. And well, obviously, but so as people who are listening to this, I'm sure have listened to our inter episode and know that you and I both come from healthcare. Um, I was pre-med my whole life, ended up going to nursing and then here I am not doing a lick of healthcare. Um, and I feel like I've, I've shut so much of it out of my brain. Actually, I was helping a friend who was sick, sick with strep throat. I was dropping some stuff off and they were asking me some questions and I'm like, Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know. I've canceled all that out of my head. I mean, obviously it's still, it's still deep back there, but, um, but yeah, so it really, honestly, reading Ashley's book has helped a lot in reframing failure. I I've, it put, it put words to the reframing because I, in a not very concrete sense, had reframed my failures, but not really from the perspective that she offers in her book. And basically, like you said, failure, success is the product of a bunch of little failures. And there's, I mean, mm-hmm. I highlighted so many things in her book. I couldn't even, it's... <laughs> kind of kind of counterintuitive so it's a really good it's, book it's so hard do you want to quick talk about ashley's book and what sure. it is and what it's about yeah. so people kind of have an idea of when you're talking about sure ashley's yeah book. ashley stahl she is a former counterterrorism expert she worked at she worked for the u.s government and the pentagon, pentagon. yeah and now she is a life coach author brilliant human being and she's what like 34 she's killing it there's mm-hmm. a lot but there's a lot more to her and um she talks a lot about her her upbringing and her career and all of those things in the book um and she's just fantastic she is um has one of my favorite books i think i've ever read and it's thanks to you for um introducing it to me but um one of the things i heard about it from a podcast yes and we will talk about we will talk about those as well um but she she was talking about failure and she was relating it back to her time in as a civilian in the military basically she worked alongside them had you know had a lot of realizations um And one of the things she says is success is often what happens only after a series of failures and that failure is simply part of the alchemy we use to create success. I came to believe failure was neutral. It's just information rerouting us back to our destiny. Um, It's so funny that you just started to read (laughs) that that because I'm literally on that page. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. Yeah. It's It's, it's rerouting. I think a lot of times people take failure and what they're really feeling with failure is shame. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I dissect failure, quote unquote failure, in the sense of a shameful failure, 
the only times that I think of failure in that way is when I think I'm disappointing other people. It's really never about me for my personal failures when I think of that. It's about, did I do I feel I let someone down? And is that the truth? Or is that something I'm fabricating? Mm-hmm. Did I really let someone down? Or did I let... Do, Part of it is, did I fail to live up to what I think somebody else's version of me is? Which I've never felt more exposed. That is a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, that's and that's whether it's your parents or someone specific or just society in general. I really, truly feel that most of that is projections of how we judge ourselves. Very, very rarely is it someone actually looking at you and being like, oh you know like it's it's Mm -hmm. us it's us yeah and if somebody else has expectations of you that don't align with where you want to go once again that is something for them to unpack it is not your baggage to carry um for example this is not true I'm just going to use it as an example because I think it's maybe like relatable to a lot of people or maybe it's true I don't really I'm not sure but say when I told Adam that I was leaving nursing that he was disappointed because I would no longer be a nurse well that's for him to unpack why he wants me to be a nurse and what perception that gives to other people and not for me to carry his baggage of being sad that I was leaving nursing because I feel like I'm disappointing Adam because he might want me to be a nurse. Like there's a difference. Um, And I do touch on that in our first episode of when I left nursing, I had a really rough weekend of all of a sudden I'm not able to identify myself as a nurse. And it's like, well, why does that matter if you didn't even like nursing? And for me, it boiled down to because I can't call myself a nurse and it's such a noble profession and now people won't think of me as noble and now people will think I left a career in the middle of a crisis, a a global pandemic, and that I, you know, all this stuff and is like, you are projecting so much onto the world that does not actually, that's not, none of that is true. None of that is true. And if it is true for somebody else where they thought that of me, that's on them, you know? Take it to therapy. Um, So take it to therapy um so do you have any failures quote-unquote failures and you can unpack that word as much as you want and I definitely have questions to ask about quote-unquote failure um and you can tell me if I'm needling you too hard during no this I'm all for or it I it mean I'm, I'm an open book truthfully um and a lot of it I mean and I think she I don't know if I can find the quote in any in any quick manner but you know failure and success they both what whatever they're about they feel the same to like the way I feel failure is probably similar to the way that you or I guess not failure or so, something not going the way you had planned I guess I, I don't even want to call it failure at this point because I don't think I mean maybe in a literal sense you're failing but I that that word is just there's just so much, so many aspects to it that I'm just, I'm kind of rewiring my brain. Failure is in the eye of the beholder, right? So my failure might be different than your failure. Like if I said I made $10,000 this month, there could be somebody that's like, well, that's a freaking fail. Like you only made $10,000 this month. And there might be somebody who's like, 
you you think that's failing? I only made $3,000 this month. And then there's somebody that says, I would have loved to make Mm $3,000 this month. So failure and the the loadedness that we give it is all in the eye of the beholder of what failure is. And it's all made up. It is. all made up real (laughs) but it's not real yeah they're just learning experiences so uh nursing school nursing yeah so you want to dive into that well I did nursing school I graduated almost exactly a year ago last May um and before I graduated I had the the local hospital um had what's called a nurse residency program and it was for all the new grads. Basically, you get hired into a specific department or the general med surge track before you even graduate. And you already have the job. So once you graduate, you start working basically as a tech. Um, you still wear like the blue scrub, the blue nurse scrubs and everything, but you you get kind of like a hybrid training where you can you you learn a bunch of stuff, but you can't actually perform. You're more supportive. Yes. You're more supportive. Absolutely. I, think. I love residency programs. I wish I would have had mm-hmm. one as a nurse because I think I would have gained the confidence I needed before actually being on my yeah. own. It was, I mean, overall the program, I mean, there was obviously some, some aspects that I didn't like and some people I didn't like and didn't agree with, but the general concept is, was amazing. So mm-hmm. I, I got one of two spots in the labor and delivery department, um, which I did, obviously, I felt a little bit of guilt around that because it was a very sought after position. And I still had that kind of, I mean, I had that lingering feeling kind of deep down that I was like, I don't want to do any of this. I don't want to be in healthcare, but it was just what I was doing. And that's what my life was. And I didn't really think that there were any other options at that point. But so I graduated nursing school, top of my class. And I schedule finally got the authorization from the school. They have to like send a bunch of stuff in for you to be able to test to take the NCLEX, which is the board exam to get your RN. So I had mine scheduled. I think it was like July or I don't know, maybe like end of June or no, it was like after July 4th, I believe. Um, So I was working labor and delivery, postpartum, all of the mother baby stuff. And I was loving it. It was great. I mean, if I, if I ever went back to nursing, which I won't, it would, it would be in that, in that field. Like it truly, like it was the best I could imagine as a nurse or Mm -hmm. healthcare or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I had worked in emergency med from, you know, for years, but anyways, I didn't study for the NCLEX. I didn't, I didn't study at all through nursing school and I got, you know, some of the highest grades. I, I just, I think a lot of it helped having um, healthcare experience and just some common sense, right? Um, but mm-hmm. the NCLEX is a standardized exam. So it's all based off the book, a book that I did not study. And I, especially having experience in emergency medicine, it's almost entirely common sense. I mean, obviously, you know, meds and dosages and protocols, but it's the app application in a crisis it all comes down to like common sense and like just critical thinking I guess critical Mm -hmm. thinking is a better term but so that's how I always approached everything even nursing school even the exams I mean you read it and you'll be like well obviously I'm gonna do this and not that and it was right but fast forward to the NCLEX didn't study um and I 
got just below passing. So I didn't, I didn't pass. I failed it, which was a failure, right? I literally a failure. I literally failed the exam. A technical, technical failure. failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, I guess it was, it wasn't in July. It was in June. Cause I remember I went to go take a puppy out to Rachel Mutz in California and I was hanging out with her and a few other people and I got the results and I opened it and I was like, Oh, okay. I literally was not upset. Mm -hmm. I think I also knew like, well, you didn't study. What the fuck were you expecting? You know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, but, um, I was like, okay. So I rescheduled it. Didn't study again. (laughs) I think that's one of my faults and, um, a strength of mine is that I just I can't do something that I don't want to do I can't force I mean I I could sit and study but then I get distracted with other things like oh I'm gonna go work on this order this order in the shop and I just I didn't want to study I didn't want to be a nurse it was a means to a paycheck but I just I had absolutely zero drive to put any more time in than going and collecting a paycheck so didn't study same score when I retook it um and at that point so this was August it was right before I moved because the residency program they you get two attempts And then if you don't, then they help you find another job within the hospital until you pass it. And then you can go back to whatever position just because basically you're like an extra tech. So Mm -hmm. it's just like an extra position. So they have you go work like an open tech position until you get your, until you pass your NCLEX. And they're all, they were all very supportive and whatever. And some of the instructors, like the nursing instructors, like even they had failed it a few times. I mean, it's a standardized exam. I know lots of good nurses that, that have failed. So if you're out there and you're one of those people um, or you're studying to take it or whatever, a lot of people fail on the first attempt and that's okay. And there's a lot of people that don't fail and sometimes they're, they just don't make the best nurses and that's a whole different subject. But mm-hmm. um, so, but at that point, so the house that I was in, I was renting from a friend in the military and he was expecting a baby he was always planning on coming back. Eventually they decided that they wanted to sell the house, which I don't blame them at all the housing market was great they were mm-hmm. were bound to make a good profit and i never thought he'd ever come back to champaign illinois he were he was out based in colorado colorado springs if anyone mm-hmm. <laughs> was in colorado springs and then voluntarily came back to champaign illinois like you have some other problems to figure out but <laughs> so they ended up they were like well they, you know they offered to me like did i want to buy it and i it was literally probably a day after I um, got the results of my second NCLEX. And I was like, nope, I'm not going to buy this house. I'm not going to stay in Champagne. I'd always wanted to get out of Champagne, and I'm one of those people that will buckle down and do just about anything to make something work. And that's what I did. I did that in my last relationship that kept me in Champagne. And all the stupid healthcare jobs that I worked, I just, I made it work. I worked down to the, mm-hmm. myself to the bone. I worked crazy hours, collected very minimal paychecks, and I made it work. And mm-hmm. I genuinely 
with my whole heart know that if those events didn't happen the way they did, I would still be in Champaign. I would have never Mm -hmm. gone full time with the business. I would never have started this podcast with you. I would have never Mm -hmm. considered and started starting a new business. I would have never met the people that I've met up here. There's just so many things that it almost makes me nauseous to think about my life had those failures not happened. Mm -hmm. And I knew that deep down. So it hasn't really like weighed heavily on me. I know my mom still really wants me to take the NCLEX and just she's like, just to have it, you know. And while that's not a terrible idea, obviously it would take a lot of time. I'd have to start from scratch. Basically, it's been a year since I've really looked at any of the material. And, there, you know, obviously a lot of it's standardized testing-esque things, but you still need to know information. Um, mm-hmm. So that would take a lot of time and energy doing something that I have absolutely no desire to do. Um, and, you know, beyond that, as a, technically as a new grad, I would be stuck in an orientation role for probably five, six months at minimum in mm-hmm. a job. Yeah. Full time. Cause she's like, well, just go like pick up a shift or two. And I'm like, well, it doesn't work that way. Not without experience. Right. So, it, mm-hmm. you know, it'd be a full-time thing. And, you know, I, it always, like, I always kind of considered it. I was like, well, you know, maybe just to have it. And she just always would say, just to have it, just to have it. And I'm like, well, you know, I am broke and I do miss having an income and it is a staple job, but it robs me of happiness and it drains me. And it is not something I'm even remotely passionate about. And like you've said, I would rather go get a bartending job or work for UPS or do something else. If push came to shove and I needed just a whatever job, I wouldn't go back to nursing. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And, you know, then it's part of me has always thought like, well, you know, I would make X amount of money a week or a month as a nurse, that would be nice. That'd be nice money. But even in just the last few weeks with the reframing that we talked about, I've manifested more money in half the time than I would have made as a paycheck. And I would also be away for 36, probably closer to 40 hours. Wouldn't be with my dogs. I'd be selling my soul, probably getting spit on by people, body fluids everywhere, Mm. waking up and, you know, hating my life (laughs) so yeah it really it's it's scary I mean the last I mean I moved up here what mid-September so I've been here for a little over half a year and a lot of those months in the fall and especially winter they were dark months they were because I wasn't I was not feeling passionate about the woodworking business. I had no really idea of what I was going to do. It was snowy. It was gross. It was cold. And I'm thankful that I'm not in that mindset anymore, but I need people to know that. And I I think I'm pretty transparent on my social media. I don't think you could go look back and be like, oh, she's just so happy and so whatever. Like that wasn't the case. And I never really like tried to portray that. Um. But sometimes that those transitions from the mindset and the life and the cycles and everything that you're stuck in, it's not always a very glamorous or it's it's not always fun. 
but it's no. necessary and I genuinely cannot imagine I can't I can't imagine my life being a nurse or doing just even even six months ago like my life looks so different now for the better and I'm just mm-hmm. so thankful for those those failures because truthfully otherwise I would have just figured out something else if the house would have stayed I would have found another job if I would have had the nursing job I would have found another house and I'd still be down there mm-hmm. yeah I think I think there's two ways that really you could frame this right it's like I failed I failed at being a nurse and I failed my family because they have this expectations expectation of me or they obviously held me in some sort of regard that I was in nursing school and I feel like I let them down because I didn't finish that track mm-hmm. or you can just use it as a learning experience and say I tried something that I wasn't really sure I was a good fit for and I tried and it wasn't really for me and the test is neither here nor there right I mean I know that if I actually studied I'd pass it I mean I was right below it I studied I didn't study at all through nursing school or after I think it was subconsciously I was like I don't want to study I don't want to I don't want to do this I was going to ask do you think that maybe you self-sabotaged because you didn't want yeah yep and sometimes self-sabotage works against us most of the time right I think in Jess's case I think I mean from my perspective she's a very intellectual you are a really intellectual person there's no if you flew through nursing school there's really no reason that you shouldn't have passed the NCLEX I think it was a really intentional move on your part and maybe you didn't even have the wherewithal to know why you were so resistant to just sit down and study or sit down and review some simple things or it's like oh I'm I'm kind of like lacking in cardiac maybe I should look that up or something you know just I, as an I example, actually but. did study for 30 minutes while I was driving to the testing center I listened to one part of a mm-hmm. podcast about nursing <laughs> that was it <laughs> does any part of you now still feel shame around not doing not finishing I feel shame towards myself. Do you have anything left to unpack? I feel shame that I pushed and put so much into something that I genuinely, I wish that I could have looked more introspectively and made that U-turn before, before I did. So what did, well, I hear what you're saying. Do you think that you learned something about yourself in the process that you wouldn't have learned had you had you not gotten no everything I I think it happened for a reason and like I don't really regret that it happened the way that it did so -hmm. I guess that's maybe not the right way to put it but Mm -hmm. I really it was so much of my life not wasted but spent on these things that just did not fulfill me in the slightest Mm mm-hmm but I don't regret it. Everything well, when happens. you know better, you do yeah, better, exactly. right? So you're on that path. Um, oh, there was something I'm looking for in this book as you're as you're um, speaking because I do think it is uh, really applicable, and I've been like trying to find it. But in the meantime, 
Has your, like, what does your dad have? I'm just curious. What does your dad have to say about the whole thing? Because your dad is a very pragmatic numbers, uh, analytical person. Yeah. So what does and he he's also a businessman. So he's always been very interested yeah. in my business ventures. But a lot of a lot of my mom and my dad, they're both very supportive. They're both, I think they were just very mm-hmm. concerned at all these moving parts happening so quickly. And they were very supportive. Very, very supportive. Mm-hmm. And truthfully, I know that they're proud I mean they're proud of me but Mm -hmm. I think my dad basically he's just like okay so what are you gonna do to pay the bills you know and I think my mom was definitely pushing more for me still taking the NCLEX still does still does to this day I mean I think she knows that the words are kind of lost on me and that I'm not going to do that I simply will not Mm -hmm. um but my dad, I mean, it was really just like, okay, well, what next? Mm-hmm. And I didn't really quite have those answers necessarily at the time. I mean, I might have had some fluff that I fed him just to kind of get him off my ass while I figured it out. Because he is a very, que- he, he questions a lot of things. And actually, he's an analytical person, like you said. And I mean, I am too. I just, a lot of times I just don't have the answers to his questions yet. So I have to kind of work on those before I really have a full-on conversation with him I mean even it's not necessarily yeah. that he I can't have a conversation with him before having answers I just don't like being like well I don't know yet I don't know yet because I like to have the answers too so but no he he was supportive of of me and they both they both just come from a well so what what are you gonna do now you know there there are bills to pay so, I mean they they weren't like pushy though you know, they were supportive, mm-hmm. like, okay, well, let's reset, do some business stuff, because then, of course, then there were the puppies, so there was mm-hmm. that, but mm-hmm. they they weren't they weren't impatient with me, which was nice, mm-hmm. because I don't do well with people being impatient, because I am impatient, so then it's double the impatience, and then it's just a disaster, yeah. so. Right, yeah. So, I did find what I was looking for, and so... For context, Ashley Stahl was a, in counterterrorism at the Pentagon, and she talks about this very early on in the book, but she has a lot of resistance in her job, and she's she's working through it in a lot of the way that I felt I was working through nursing school, which is, or nursing, my career in nursing, which is like, well, I just think I have to build this steeliness, and I just haven't mastered that yet, And but really at the core of it, the job didn't really align with, with what her core values were. And so it really created this friction internally for her as she's going through this job and being very, very successful at this job, mind you. Like, she was very good at what she did. But she did, obviously, The I mean, I don't think I'm spoiling anything here. She leaves. She does make a decision. And it was actually a very impulsive decision where she walked off of a firing field as people were learning how to shoot guns so that they could go to Afghanistan and be basically civilian spies and stuff like that. So it's like she walks off of the field, goes and packs her bag and and quits. She leaves. She just leaves. And so she um, grapples with this for a long time. And she has an issue, you know, going back to L.A. where she's from. And trying to figure out, are people going to think I'm a failure? I mean, that was a lot of her stuff, is the image in which other people saw her. And she was very proud of that image because it it was what she worked so hard to do, right? So she put a lot of time, her entire, I mean, she's a very intellectual person. So 
she went to school specifically in like poli sci and really built up this resume to be able to get to where she was. So she walks away from this career and then she really has a lot to unpack after that because she finally had the courage to listen to her intuition, which she got pretty sick in the process. She wasn't eating normally. She was depressed. Um, she felt lonely and alone and all of this. I mean, you really should read the book because she frames it in such a beautiful way. And I think it's so relatable no matter who you are, if you, even if you haven't had a job that is maybe um, emotionally taxing in that way, um, I think it resonates with you or it can resonate with everybody if you're not happy with where you're at and you're kind of going through the motions because you feel you have to and you have this image that you want to portray because that's how people know you and all of this stuff but she says she's talking about um basically the catalyst for her career um and the inspiration for the book and it's she says, chances are you can reframe any issue into a blessing if you're willing to see it that way. More often than not, our painful experiences can and will serve as trampolines, launching us into the next level in life. And I think for you, I'm sure there was stuff to unpack in that moment of, of what it meant to not, not be able to pass that. I mean, I'm sure there was like a lot of like, am I not smart enough? Am I, what oh, am I sure. missing here? Yeah. Like, you know, but, but in the grand scheme of it, as painful as that experience might have been in the moment, it really was a, a catalyst for you to be where you're at. And so it's all a matter of how you frame it. You know, Jess could have, you know, doubled down and and really here's the thing. If Jess really, really, truly felt her calling and her and her best work was going to be in nursing, I'm sure she would have done the damn oh, yeah. thing. And I don't even think it would have been an issue of her not passing in the first place because she would have really wanted it. But it was kind of like almost a self-sabotage in a way of like, we don't really want this. I don't really want this. My internal self does not want this. So like, let's just like wing it. And if it, mm-hmm. if it doesn't, if I don't pass, then I have a really good excuse as to why I'm not nursing. And it gives it gives the exam like I can put the brunt of it on the exam instead of me walking away in a way like it kind of puts that blame on the test. Yeah. And um, and if you did pass, well, then you passed and you didn't have to study for it. And look at that. You yeah. know, it's just like I think either way, it was kind of a win for you. I knew in a really that I wasn't weird... going to pass it. I knew because like like I said, it's a standardized exam. I had six years of very practical experience and that's the exact opposite of what tests you on. Actually, those are the those are the wrong answers. Are like the practical. You have to go buy the book. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, it's something like in real life. If someone did that, arguably, like someone could die. Like because so- this is more important. But yeah, I knew. I knew that. Even even consciously, I knew that the test was not going to go well because I was so hardwired in the reality of medicine and nursing and healthcare the way I knew it. Well, I also wonder too, like you going in and saying, I, I know that I'm going to fail. It's like, well, then you, I guess, okay. I didn't necessarily go fail. in and say that I was going to fail. I just, I knew it was a very real possibility and I still yeah. did not have any fire in me to study knowing that it was a real possibility yeah. that I was going to fail. This kind of just brought up this thought for me. I was listening to something. Oh, I'll have to think of what it was because I don't remember. It might have been a TED Talk or something. But um, they were talking about high achievers 
And I believe he was speaking in a amphitheater to students who are going to Purdue University. So obviously a lot of high achievers in that amphitheater. And he's like, how many of you are procrastinators? And pretty much everyone raised their hand because a lot of time procrastination comes from perfection. And he's like, you know, the thing about procrastination is, so say you procrastinate, and I'm just going to use that as an exam as an example. Say you're procrastinating and you wait until right before, you know, to study for this exam and you fail the exam or you don't do as well on it as you wanted. You have then the excuse to say, well, I just didn't study. It's be- That's why, you know, or you pass the exam and it reaffirms to you that like, Basically, it's a win. You're giving your you're giving yourself an out either way. Either you pass the exam because and you procrastinated, and you can say, "Well, I just look at that, I passed," or I didn't pass, but it's because I procrastinated, and it doesn't really. It's it's perfectionism and pr- procrastination are really tied in together, and then perfectionism. I mean, you could really break that down even further. As I always say, it could be a whole episode. Of <laughs> That's going to be a catch, catchphrase. But when you're saying like, well, I, I kind of listened to this thing right before I go in, it's like it gave you an out, though, too, where it's like, well, I just didn't study. So I didn't. Of course, I didn't pass because I didn't study. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like I'm not saying that specifically just about you. I think all of us do it. I have done it many, many a time when I had to take um, a lot of exams and everything like that. But uh, it is this really interesting concept of perfectionism tied to procrastination, tied to giving yourself an out either way if you succeed or if you don't succeed, quote unquote, succeed. Right. But um, yeah, so basically failure is what you make of it. Failure is what you frame it as. And really, um, as many people have outlined, uh there is no person who has ever been successful who has not failed. Okay, and I have an example. I have actually many examples of this. This is from Jen Sincero's book, and she just kind of... I just want to give these. There's about one, two, three, there's five examples, six examples. Okay, so she's like, temporary failure is all the rage. All the cool kids have done it. Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team for a lack of skill. Steven Spielberg, a high school dropout, was rejected from film school three times. Thomas Edison, who was dubbed too stupid to learn anything by a teacher, tried more than 9,000 experiments before successfully creating the light bulb. Um, I don't know how to say his first name, but the Honda, the founder of Honda Motor Company, was turned down by Toyota for an engineering position so he could, so he started his, his own damn company. Beethoven's music teacher told him he was talentless and more specifically was hopeless at composing. (laughs) Fred Smith wrote a paper while at Yale about his big idea for an overnight delivery service. He got a C. He went on to create FedEx anyways. So the only failure is quitting. Everything else is just gathering information. And I just take all of those people And I guess it boils down to tenacity as well, but it's also how bad do you want it? How do you, how do you view failure? Cause can you imagine if Michael Jordan would have quit basketball? He's literally known as the greatest bat, one of the greatest basketball players of all times. 
can you imagine if Steven Spielberg would have just said, you know what, they're right. I shouldn't be in film. I'm just going to stop doing that. Like how many people would have been robbed of talent that these people had because somebody told them that they were failing at something and they reframed it and they just did it anyways because they had the tenacity to do so. So failure is such a loaded word. And something else Jen Sincero says, she says, there are plenty of people out there in the world living the kind of life you only dream about living, many of whom are far less fabulous and talented than you are. The key to their success is that they decided to go for it. They stopped listening to their tired old excuses, changed their lousy habits, and got the fuck on the fuck. So let go of all this failure shit. It's like failure is just a stepping stone, and it's just a learning experience, and it's just you gathering information for how to change things next time. And in Jess's case, the failure of an exam, the literal failure of an exam, led her to choose a path that was more authentic to her, too. And so sometimes, actually all the time, I think failure serves us, and we just have to view failure as a service to us, and then take what you learned and move forward. You know, I think for Jess, it just reaffirmed that she wasn't really doing what made her happy. Whether she self-sabotaged that or not, whether you did that on purpose or not, we will never really probably know. You know, I think that's for you and a therapist to sort through <laughs> if you ever got to that point where you needed to do that. I but at we the could same all time, agree it's there like, was you absolutely just... a level of self-sabotage. At probably a lot of it at a, at a subconscious level. Some of it probably at a conscious level. Because even my friends were like, study. Like They'd be like, go study. To. And I'm like, I don't want to like no mom I'm not gonna study yeah yeah but it's like you didn't want it you didn't want it and it was just you really just being like I don't want this it's just like how when my nursing license actually came up for renewal you have to pay like the renewal fee you know it's just like I don't want it like you could I don't want it I don't it's easy to I don't view yeah I don't view me leaving nursing behind as a failure anymore it served me and it it gave me a lot of tools that I wouldn't have ever developed otherwise. And I think it was a really necessary part of my journey for a hundred and a hundred million mm-hmm. reasons. Um, but the other thing I want to point out, if you're, if you're still concerned about failure and what it looks like to other people is nobody is running around behind you with a notebook and writing down all of your quote unquote failures. Nope. You know what? People are so consumed with their own things they're not even batting an eye at you and what you perceive as a failure do you think you think anybody can you think of anybody in the last year where you're like yeah they really they really fucked up and failed it's like maybe but those are probably really really big things in a public eye but at the same time can you think of like your best friend and something they they deemed as a failure and and you can think of that like I can't conjure up anything where I'm like yeah that person really like shit the bed on that one you know it's like I really can't because nobody is keeping tabs on anybody else's failure and again if they are that's for them that's none of your business what other people are doing or thinking about you you just need to put put your nose to the grindstone figure out what you want to do and um and stop worrying about if it that fo- if there's someone's um, actually that focused on your failures <laughs> I almost feel bad for them because they clearly are distracting themselves from their own things and Yes. If, if, if someone yes. really is focused and, on that, then I, they, there really shouldn't be much value in their opinion anyway, because clearly they're 
consider yeah. the source. Consider the right? source. Consider the source of where that's coming from. And I listened to this really interesting thing today, actually, on my way here, and it was Brene Brown, and she was on a podcast, and she, she was talking about her TED Talk, the infamous Brene Brown TED Talk that we all have probably seen, and I know I've watched it multiple times, where she gets very vulnerable, and she talks about how vulnerability is really human connection and and she gets very real on stage and she's talking about how she flew in from Hawaii the night before she's like I didn't know that this was going to be filmed I literally picked a shirt up off the floor put some under eye concealer on and drove to this TED talk she's like I didn't know that it was going to be filmed that it was going to be a thing at all and she said I just really told my husband the day before on the flight home that I was just going to talk about vulnerability and be really open and honest. And she's like, honestly, the whole thing was a shit show. She's like, from start to finish, she said, I left that TED Talk and I was like, that was the worst thing I have ever done in my life. It's the worst. She's like, my academia is like out the window with that. She's like, I, I, that was awful. And then they call her and they tell her, well, we're actually going to put the footage of this out there we're gonna publish it and she's like no I don't think that's a good idea and they I mean obviously they did it anyways she couldn't get out of bed the day that they did that because she was so I mean she had so much shame around what she put out there and now we know that this talk actually influenced I mean millions of people and it's what all of us would deem as a successful TED talk, but her perception of it was an epic failure. So she created so much drama for herself, telling her that it was a major failure when the rest of the world looked at it and said, that's the most beautiful TED talk I've ever seen. And it's actually one of the most viewed TED talks. I think that exists because it's so powerful. And she created so much drama about that and robbed herself of so much joy about what she produced in that talk and it was all made up in her head that it was a failure. That's, that's I didn't know that. <laughs> I have goosebumps. That's crazy. I just think there's there's so much. It all boils back down to the story that we tell ourselves. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. But um, the story that we tell ourselves is just a story. It's nothing more. The meaning that you give it is what you give it. And it's how you write the story. So if you want to be the victim and you want to be, you know, a sad sack about whatever is happening, then I guess that's where you'll lie. But it's or you can reframe it and just view all of these micro failures as learning opportunities and use it to catapult you into success. Because as we've already talked about, nobody who has ever done anything successful never failed. So um, I think the other piece of this is that is what I touched on earlier is it might not be about the act of failure. It's about the shame associated with failure. And it's about the fear surrounding failure and fear is a whole series in and of itself, to be honest. But what are you afraid of in failure? What is the fear behind it? And I feel like when I ask people what's holding you back from the next stage of your life and people say fear, fear of what? Of failing? What does that mean to you? What does failure mean to you? Fear of not making enough money? Why are we coming from a scarcity mindset? Do you think that there's nothing else that you could do to bring in money if 
if you quote unquote failed at bringing in money during whatever it is that you love, then you know what you do? You kind of shift gears and you say, there's something going on here that I'm not making money at something that I really like doing. So what's a different approach that I can take so I can start to make money doing something that I like? You just shift gears. You know, I don't think every time that I've ever sold a candle that it's gone exactly how it how I planned it to you know it's like sometimes you have to shift gears you have to change the narrative a little bit you have to figure out what story you're going to tell and how you're going to tell it and how you're going to grab people's attention and I've I mean I've put out TikToks that have completely tanked and I put out TikToks that have over a million views and it's like what I learned something from that I didn't take the TikToks that completely tanked and said well I suck at TikTok I'm never doing this again because I suck at it and I failed at it and it's not for me. No, you just take it as a learning learning opportunity and look at it and say, well, what what did I do differently in this one that I then compared to other ones that were successful? And then you kind of start to dissect it and you really take it as a learning op- opportunity. And I've always taken it as to get curious about it, right? Like, why did that happen? And, and what's the psychology behind this? And how is the consumer looking at this? And um, I just think there's so many layers to it all. There's a another chapter and it talks in Jen Sincero's book and it talks about Henry Ford and how he came up with the idea for his V8 motor and he wanted an engine to have all eight cylinders cast in one block. Um, so I don't really know what that means. I don't think Jen Sincero knows what that means, but that was his goal. And it basically took him several years and people coming up to him and saying like, this isn't going to work and it's impossible and this we've tried it and it's just, it's literally impossible. And he's just said, okay, we'll go back to the drawing board, go back to the drawing board. He just kept telling him, go try again. And he could have easily, very easily just said, well, we've just had failure upon failure upon failure, instead of looking at as we've learned what's not working, you know, like we, we keep learning what's not working. And now we're just going to tweak it. He could have easily said, this is just a big fat failure. Never mind. Never mind. We're just going to stop doing it. And if he would have looked at failure in that way, I don't think we would be driving cars to the same capacity, at least not as early on as we were. But the the crazy thing about it is, is Henry Ford didn't even make it past the sixth grade. So that's insane. I just think I know. And but he was he had tenacity and he was determined and he just did things anyways. And his vision was was bigger than the small thoughts of others, right? Like other people kept coming to him saying, this is literally impossible. And he said, I don't care. Go back to the drawing board and do it anyway. So he really had a lot of faith in what he was doing. And he made a decision that he was going to have this. And then he just kept going until it was done. And so there's a a quote from uh, Winston Churchill, actually, too, that I just really love. And uh, he said, success consists of going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. That's all success is. You just have the failures, you embrace them, you learn from them, and you move on. Yeah. You take you take the value from it. And failure is really a gift. And if you start to look at failure as a gift, I think it changes it. Now, it doesn't take away the sting of failure. Everyone's going to have the sting it's, of failure, stings. right? Everyone it wants stings. to succeed. But you know what? <laughs> Actually, I was talking about this with one of my other friends about failure. We were, we were obviously talking a little bit from more of a joking perspective, but I was like, well, it's failure. And you know, the brain, they always say that, you know, pain and pleasure are similarly wired in your brain. And so, (laughs) you know, if it stings, why can't it be like a good sting? You know, (laughs) it's fine. Well, yeah, it's enjoy it. It's the feeling of failure. You're like, oh, that's good. That's redirecting me 
to where I need it's to go. It's a journey, right? And it's a journey. And I think I think I think failure is a barometer for how hard you're trying to because if <laughs> if you don't dare to ever fail at anything, then you're never you're never dare, daring to succeed at anything either. Um, you can't have success without failure. They are two sides of a coin and you literally just can't have one without the other. So you just get really comfortable and settle into failure and know that it's going to happen. And that's okay. It's supposed to, it's supposed to happen. Um, so yeah, I think, I hope that for anyone who's afraid of failure or thinks of it as a negative, that maybe it helps. I hope that we reframed something for you guys. Um, do you just do you think that you have a different idea of what failure is now than you than you did even six oh, months absolutely. ago? Like, have you ever even even? I mean, it changes do, almost yeah. every. I mean, even from reading this book or like a couple weeks ago, like it just it's an ever changing thing. And I feel like I finally have crossed that threshold of well, do I see failure as bad versus a good thing? And obviously, there's a lot. It's a more complex than just bad or good. Um. But I think it was just kind of a consistent or, or or a constant changing of reframing it. And I finally feel like I can say I I don't see it negatively anymore. I think it I think mm-hmm. it will continue to evolve. I think I will continue to embrace yeah. failure. I mean, even just like even like in the dating world or just like even little things doesn't have I mean, they don't have to be big failures, but and you know, just something not I don't know. I guess I just really um, surrender to the way things go in a sense. I mean, obviously not entirely because I'm trying to be an entrepreneur and push and do the things that really light me up. But, you know, if something isn't meant to be, I'm not like, there's some things that I'm just not going to force. And I think a lot of like in the dating world and whatever else, like it, it, I see it as like, okay, well that, that, that's a learning experience. I learned that that's not what I like, or this is what I like, or like, these are people mm-hmm. that I want to surround myself with or not. And it's just all kind of redirecting me with little steps here and there, directing me to where I am meant to be. It's all just a learning experience. And yeah, like you said, even in the dating world, it's like, so you went on a date that quote unquote failed. Well, you probably learned in that date that you don't want somebody that does X, Y, and Z. And mm-hmm. then you you know that for exactly. next time, you know, or you don't want somebody that doesn't value you. Mm-hmm. And you learn that from these experiences. And I, and I wouldn't have and, really fully understood that had I not gone. So, I mean, I'm grateful for everything that's happened, not just mm-hmm. in the dating world, but I, I really do see value in not only the things that go well, but the things that might objectively not go as well because then I learned I learned that I don't like that and I see and it helps direct me away from those things and closer to the things that I do like so Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so um with all of that like I said I hope we answered some questions um that were of value I hope we helped reframe things I just want to kind of uh, cap it off with a, a reminder that if you want to reach out to us on Instagram and show us your vision boards, or if you have any questions, or if you'd like to become a part of the Patreon and have any questions about that, you can find us at the Dropouts FM. You can find the mini workbook for the ideal life and uh, resources and all of that good stuff at the dropoutsfm.com. And 
we have everything linked in our Instagram as well to find those resources pretty easily. Um, just, just my final reminder that we really are trying to build this really wholesome community of people. And if you find yourself stuck in any way, shape, or form, or if you're looking for a community of people to be your cheerleaders, essentially, and I hate to use that word, but, you know, just a like-minded group of people who are there to really support each other's adventure in this crazy thing called life and recognizing we only have one of it and making the most of it and trying to navigate what that is. Um, I highly encourage you to join the Patreon uh, and we are trying to always add more value to it. Um, And yeah, I'm going to finish, keep working on the money workbook and I will uh, hop on Instagram and let you guys know when that's finished. If you want a little workbook to help reframe money and set some money goals and uh with all that being said, anything else you want to add, Jess? No, I think that's it. I'm, I'm just, I'm just excited to keep kind of diving into these things. It's, I think it brings us clarity to ourselves, and then, you know, if even one person kind of helps push them in the right direction, then that's, that's perfect. It's a gift. It's, it's great. It's a gift, and it's an honor. And I'm, I'm really happy that you guys tune in for this because I know your time is valuable, and you have a million things going on. So, um. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time for episode five.